Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And go leave a rating and review. It's easy just go to the app you're using right now and hit those five stars. It really does help us reach new listeners. So thank you so much for doing that. Previous guests on the show have included Jim Wilder, Brian Zond, and Carrie Latticer. You can go back, listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Ed Corey. For more than 40 years, Ed has served churches, communities, and hurting people worldwide. He's worked with substance abusers and their families in diverse settings, and he is really passionate about helping churches and leaders and small groups develop thriving, healthy communities that are rooted in grace, joy, and peace. We have a great conversation around being God's favorite, recognizing grace and joy in recovery from addictive behavior, becoming a face of grace for others, Lectio and scriptural reflection as a group, the repair of broken things, and so much more. It's such a great conversation. So here's my conversation with Ed Corey. Well, Ed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to get into Grace um, and your work. It's going to be a fun time. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. I'd love to, since you've done a lot of work uh, around Grace, you've done a lot of work in addiction um, and and helping people as they're starting to attach to God and to community. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did your life intersect with grace, either the grace of others that enabled you to move forward or the grace that God has given you that has transformed your own life? Well, it's been a mix of both things. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I decided I really wanted to follow Jesus is because of a friend I met in college who was a really strong believer and hung out with me deliberately (laughs) to build a relationship with me. And in the context of that relationship, he was so full of grace. He was very clear about where he was coming from, but it was very invitational, like, hey, let's connect and uh, explore life together. Mm. And that was so different than a lot of other approaches that I had on campus at the time. Um, but then there was times that um, 
you know, I just needed grace so bad because I was thoroughly stuck. And God just, um, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, but he like he blew my head wide open with what grace actually means for me as a lifestyle. <laughs> it changed everything about me. Mm. So it's been a, it's been kind of both both ends there. Mm. That's beautiful. So if he's he got you into a place of grace as a lifestyle, what does that mean? A lot of times as as Christians and believers, we you know, we think, hey, we've been given this gift of grace and it's been freely given to us and then it stops there. Um, but what does grace as a lifestyle look like? Well, to understand grace, you have to understand what the word grace meant in Greek culture, because it's not a new term Paul invented. Hmm. Um, grace in Greek culture was when two people wanted to, st- or one person wanted to start a relationship with another, hmm. usually someone of a higher social standing. So he would call a servant and say, hey, um, I want to start a relationship with Josh. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, here's the caress, here's the grace. So we'd give him a gift, and he'd go to your house and knock on the door and say, this is a caress from Charlie. He wants, uh, you know. And as soon as you heard that, you understood. Charlie was seeing you as special and as favored, and the gift was signifying that. But when you received the gift you were committing to a long-term ongoing relationship with Charlie. It was actually an invitation to a relationship is what grace was Mm. originally. In the way I look at grace today is it means I'm God's favorite, I'm special to him, and so are you, and so is everybody else that's ever been born, Mm. which confers an incredible sense of dignity and honor on everyone. So when I say grace is a lifestyle, it is living in response to being God's favorite and learning to see um, everybody else and myself that same way. Mm. Yeah, that that brings us into a humble position that I'm his favorite, but so are you, and so is everybody else around me. And so when I'm interacting with people, uh, I get to see them in a different light. I get to see them as God's favorite as people that may rub me the wrong way, that I may not understand, uh, they are just maybe strange to me, but really they're still God's favorite. Um, yeah. And it, it it allows me to, to bring people into a place where I'm not trying to manipulate them for my own means. Right. I'm trying to lead them into a place where they can understand that they're also God's favorite. Yeah. And that is really the impact my friend in college had on me. Mm. It's There was a sense of, um, I never felt like his ministry project. Yeah, I felt like his friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I got myself, when I was starting to really burn out and get into trouble from drinking and drugging, it was him that I talked to. Mm. If he had not built that relationship with me, it would not have happened. Hmm. So how does that change? I know one of the things when you're thinking about addiction and recovery, uh, just, you know, some people within our, our community uh, has been struggling with, with drugs and been addicted and, you know, was able to go off and do 
a YWAM DTS for six months and said, I didn't touch anything. It was great because he had community around him. And now that he's back and, and YWAM didn't know what to do with him. So he was stuck in this place where uh, I, I don't know what's next. I don't know my future. He went back into old patterns of addictive behavior. How does grace shift and change our addiction recovery process from addiction um, where it's not just we're going to this for the source of, of our, our joy and attachment, but we're actually going to go to God or the community of God's people for joy and attachment? That is really quite a question. <laughs> um, let me let me take a shot at it. Okay. Um, a couple shots. The first thing is, in recovery, usually people go into recovery because they're afraid. Mm. And that means the consequences of what they're doing have gotten severe enough that they're ready to say, well, maybe I need to do something different. So it's kind of fear of the consequences that move you in. But somewhere along the way in recovery, um, the fear as a motivation has to be changed. It's like fear pushes us in. But somewhere a sense of, I'm God's favorite. This is real. Um, I'm experiencing this. Pulls us forward. It walks with us and pulls us forward. So somewhere in the recovery process, our motivation has to change. Um, and that has a lot to do with how programming and stuff is structured to help people in recovery, at least in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it, too, is um, people get wired to triggers. Um, and there's a lot of environmental triggers. Yeah. Um, that help keep people using alcohol, drugs, or doing other addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So when you take them away from the triggers, you give them a structured environment, a community that's nothing to do with that, um, they tend to do better. But when you put them back in the same environment as before, all those subconscious triggers are now there and activating. Yeah. And it's very hard. It's just, I mean, it's tough. Um, it's almost, um, you know, when I was working with people in treatment, I would always tell them, if you don't go to a halfway house and learn how to do with triggers in a structured environment, you're going to be right back here. So wh how do you start to deal with those triggers? Um, I mean, one of the things that I think people, I mean, I'll just... And my addictive behavior is food. Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be addicted to food. I'm gonna go back to sugar. Like it's, it is something that I try to stop, um, and I try to get better at. And then I go back to it all the time because it's just a, it's a natural habit. I'm, I'm, a, I'm addicted to it. Um, so how do I say it's not just my willpower? I'm not, you know, I'm not horrible willpower. There has to be something different. Um, that I could start to change patterns and habits. Um, and it's the same. I, I'm just going to correlate this. It's the same thing as our addictive patterns as it is in our discipleship relationships and our discipleship to Jesus. We have the same patterns of, you know, the way that we've been raised, the way that we, we go back to things. And when we're learning something new and we have metanoia moments and where our minds are changed, we, we go, okay, I could live into a new pattern for a little while, but I'm going to go back 
to my yeah. old pattern because it's easy. So how do we shift those things? Um, if I could answer that correctly for everyone, I would be a best-selling author. <laughs> yes, you would. I know. <laughs> now, there are a couple things that come to mind. One is um, things like sugar run the same neurochemical pathways as genuine joy. Mm. Um, grace and joy. Grace and joy are two forms of the same Greek word where you get your special and favorite, you get high energy. They're really glad to be with me. Both are relational. Yeah. So um, part of the answer is um, joy hmm. becoming, doing, it's putting into place um, relationships, people, and times to build joy. Hmm. That might sound like wasting time, but it's actually really, really good for your brain and your spirit because it's joy. I think grace and joy that kind of pull you through some of those moments yeah. of, I want to go back, I wanted this. I think part of it also is um, community can really help. But the third thing is a little harder to explain, but you have to understand or understand what part of you you're actually dealing with. Okay, the part of us that's really special and favorite um, that God's making new in Christ is not the part of me that's doing sugar. Hmm. Yeah. It's just not. <laughs> when God looks at me, he doesn't see, okay, Ed's doing sugar again. What a schmuck. He's like, now there's my son and he's special and favorite and he's struggling a little bit, but it's not the same as what the Bible would call flesh. Now, being able to make that distinction in a way that's authentic can help me deal more ruthlessly with my flesh as needed. Yeah. Mm. If I think it's me, and oh my gosh, I'm going to hurt. <laughs> this is going to hurt. No, it's going to hurt your flesh. But the person that God's making you to be is actually going to be um, energized through the whole thing. Mm. So making that distinction um, authentically. Yeah. I think is really important for people working with addictions. Mm. So then how can we, I mean, you talked a little bit about bringing in people that, uh, that give you joy and that look at you like, Hey, I'm happy to see you. That's great to be in community and then to change your relationship with, with your flesh. That is not that, that peace that God sees you as that's not that peace. How do we then, how, how do we move into this attachment to God? How could God give us joy that we need uh, to to sustain ourselves and to move into a place where we could start to have good patterns? How do we attach to God that way? Um, that's part of why I wrote one of my books. It's called Becoming a Face of Grace. Um, the Reveal Study... Um, that was done, well, started by Willow Creek way back, but it's been since done in over 2,000 churches across America, has had, had noted two things that are important for spiritual growth. One is relationship, and the other is engagement with Scripture for transformation. So part of what I'm a big proponent of is um, doing Scripture reflection. Some people call it Lectio, um, some people get really triggered at that word, so I don't generally use it. Um, but it's the idea of engaging with God to let him speak to us personally through Scripture. And part of what, um, and that's good, yeah. but if you do that as a group, it's better. 
uh, I think one of the all one of the other things I find really helpful is um, telling face of grace stories. Face of grace stories are the stories of people in our lives that have seen us and treated us as special and favorite just because we exist. What I've noticed in groups is face of grace stories when we're sharing them together and scripture reflections help us experience God's presence and interact with him. And in the sharing of that, it all multiplies. Hmm. Um, so I love doing those those things. And I love helping groups experience that together. Mm. Uh, can we do that? Let's do that right now. Can you give me a, a face of grace story? Uh, okay. Uh, right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I take... Um, I mean, there's a bunch in, in the book, yeah. but here's a fresher one. Okay. Um, I take bass lessons from a guy named Luke, who is a Christian. And uh, he invited me to play on a worship team for Celebrate Recovery meetings. They do like four songs and before the meeting action, well, before they break into groups. Luke is a face of grace to me because... I can I kind of know when I'm making mistakes. <laughs> like I can hear I'm like, oh, that was bad. <laughs> it's a clunker. Um but Luke has a way of encouraging me, like, you're doing great. You're really doing well. Fist bump constantly. And he invites me to go out to dinner with him and the rest of the musicians that play. And we just have a blast. There's some, the way Luke looks at me, even if I'm hitting wrong note the way he's patient with me, the look on his face of just joy that I'm there, mm. um, I feel special. My body feels um, warm because usually I'd beat myself up. Oh, man, what a clunker that was. Usually I'd beat myself up, you know, my body like a little bit. But the way he responds, I feel like I can do this. It's like I got energy. I can engage with this again. And uh what I like to do when those kind of things are happening is um, just keep coming, yeah. just keep playing. Mm. It's a face. It's a face of. There's four parts. There's what happened, the emotion you felt, what your body felt like, and then what you did. Mm. I mean, in the book, I've got stories about my mom, my godfather, teachers I had at school, really good friends over the years. Um, and there's something about reflecting on those moments that gives me a little when I and I don't mean just thinking, oh, that was nice, but thinking about them until I feel that feel that feeling again. Yeah. Reminds me what it's like being God's favorite. Mm. It's probably a tenth of what, what God does. Yeah. But learning to live in that sense is important because grace has become such an abstract theology for most of us. Yep. We don't know what it feels like. Hmm. So I encourage people to call to mind those things hmm. and reflect on them. Um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's really cool. As the, you know, as we reflect on those things together, uh, <laughs> you reflecting on that, sharing that story brings me some joy in my life and I could start to feel what you started to feel. Um, but how do we become like Luke? How do we become people that are faces of grace for others? I know a lot of Christians, you know, as I've worked around the world, 
with people from different cultures that don't yet know Jesus. I know a lot of people, there's there's a, a couple of different tactics. One is to to kind of be like Jesus and not condemn the the sinner, but mm-hmm. bring them in. And because they've been brought in, they're going to actually go and, and sin no more, right? They're going to change their life. Their life is going to be transformed. Um, but then there's the, the, the Pharise- Pharisees that would go and say, you have to transform your life and then you could be accepted in. Yeah. How do we become more like Jesus uh, and be that face of grace for people that are far from God so that they can be accepted and then transform? Um, there's a process I talk about called receive and then you reflect. You have to receive, I'm really God's favorite, and this genuinely is how he feels with me before you can reflect it to other people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that happens in a vacuum. It's grace is a relational experience. Yeah. So doing things like remembering face of grace, faces of grace, and continuing to engage with God very intentionally for transformation. Um, and that has to happen in a group context. I don't think you can do it by yourself. I mean, ideally, you've got time with God where you're receiving that in groups reinforcing it. But it's a very intentional process of growing in grace. And I think part of it is um, our natural tendency is to judge with what Jim and I are calling earth eyes. Like, okay, you're doing this and it's really obnoxious and really offensive and I can't stand you because this is what you do. Yeah. Earth eyes always look at the obvious and... The, you know, the malfunctions, the things we don't like about people that make us uncomfortable. But learning to see them through God's eyes is a very intentional practice. And it's almost like if I'm interacting with some, someone right now and I notice I'm not seeing them through God's eyes, I need to stop and figure out, okay, God, what happened? Because I'm not seeing things clearly right now. Um, it's really... <laughs> The, the neurology behind it's fascinating, but generally when I'm in distress, my brain looks for what's right in front of me. It says, aha, you're the cause of my problem. And it doesn't really figure out, that, okay, now you're reminding me of somebody that really hurt me many years ago, and it's just I have no clue. Yeah. So being able to be intentional with God about restorative vision is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important that we can see people uh, through God's eyes. Um, and I think grace as a relational uh, gift, it's something for relationship is really, it's really powerful, really impactful um, that, that, you know, we're bringing people into relationship. Um, relationships are going to be transforming. Our relationship with God is going to be transforming. It also made me start to reflect. So if I'm I'm ref- reflecting on this relational aspect of grace, uh, Jesus's grace gifts in Ephesians 4, it says grace was given to everyone. Grace was given to all so yeah. that they could play their part. How does that, that impact the way that we interact as the body of Christ? Because Jesus has given us his grace. So that means he's giving part of himself to us. Mm-hmm. 
so that we could play our part in the body of Christ. How does that play its part? God's given gifts to people in his body for the building up mm-hmm. so that we reach maturity is is basically what the passage is talking about. Um, part of what's interesting is the very beginning of that passage talks about he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, forgetting whether... Uh, Putting aside whether those offices are alive and functioning now, which is a whole debate that I don't want to get into, the word equipping is pretty important. Yeah, because it means to um, it doesn't mean to teach; it means to repair, mm-hmm. like a net that's been broken that has to be mended. Yeah. So part of the purpose of gifts is to help repair each other, mm-hmm. so that we can mature together. So when I think about gifts in a body of Christ, I'm thinking these are given to people so as they connect and engage with other people, there'll be a repairing process happening. Hmm. I see it very much as reparative and restorative. Hmm. Um, And so everybody's gifts have a place to to fit in that maturing process. Hmm. Um, It's really how I like to look at it because then it becomes not about what you do but it implies, like the Great Commission, implies a relationship with people. Yeah. Uh, so does using your gifts. Mm. I like. I love that. That we're actually uh, a people that repairs broken things. It's it's it brings about what Jesus announced at the beginning of his ministry. You know, as he was reading Isaiah sixty-one, that he's come to you know set the captives free and. And restore sight to the blinds and um, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's he's bringing old things mm-hmm. into you, new things. He's repairing the old cities into mm-hmm. cities. And the, the story of the Bible right now is the, the restoration of all things that Jesus is going to do it. And I love that as we're, we're looking at this, that w- this happens through the relationship that we have with each other. Yes. Uh, but it also, I think, then would have to be the relationship that we have with God's creation as we're stewards of his creation, that we're yeah. relating to the creation, we're relating to the cities. So in every aspect of you know city life, every aspect of creation care, every aspect of our, our life with others, we're, <laughs> we're in this repairing mode. Right. And our relationships and the grace that we have towards one another and creation will help start that repairing process. Yeah. Jesus is all about restoring. Mm-hmm. And like one of my <laughs> cool verse, behold, I'm making all things new. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a part of, I think, God's heart is restoring, repairing, and making people whole as they're connecting with him and each other and engaging with the world and the culture around them. How can we, as the the body of Christ, as communities and churches, be that face of grace, be that place of grace? I, addiction recovery groups feel like that to me, right? AA, Celebrate Recovery, they feel like that place of grace where the the church community doesn't 
always feel that way. Sometimes they do. And oftentimes we have, have great churches that, that do that. But I see it more in that addiction recovery space. Mm-hmm. How do yeah. we bring that into church community? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, let me try to make this shorter than it really could be. <laughs> I think part of the problem is the way we think about church and interactions. And it really gets to me, to me, it gets into small group design. Um, a lot of small groups are um, they're Bible study groups or they're groups where people come in and share about, you know, their pain, their hurt, what's going on in their life. And part of the part of the thinking behind them is very Western in that if we give people really good information, um, they'll be able to make really good choices. So our groups become about someone dispensing information and the rest of us gather to make better decisions. That's really not how transformation happens. I mean, we live in the information age. If that was the issue, then everybody would be transforming at record rates right now. Yeah. Well, that that is not the problem. Um, I think part of the other the other ditch people get into is well, this is what Jim and I have just been writing about. Well, if you if you design a group around allowing people to just talk through their pain until they find peace, um, that's the way to go, and that's actually completely contrary to what Scripture talks about when we're gathering together. Um. So I think a lot of it has to do with small group design. Hmm. Um, I'm very intentional about structuring groups so that um, we do we practice what Colossians three in the first couple of verses talking about is setting your minds or your affections or focusing your attention on things that are above. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very intentional about practicing things that that lead to grace. Mm. We do things like face of grace stories. We do um, talk about times we felt a lot of gratitude or appreciation. We talk about times we felt real close with Jesus. We do scripture reflections. We quiet. We learn to quiet ourselves if we're upset. I mean, there's a lot of skills that we practice that are very consistent with growing in grace. Mm. Um. So I'm sort of rejecting the traditional two ditches that groups fall into yeah. because I don't think they accomplish what um, God wants when we gather. Mm. And I'm not saying Bible studies wrong. I'm really not. Um, but I'm saying if you recreate in a small group the same dynamics you have in a Sunday morning service— you get one person dispensing information, everyone else becomes passive listeners, and you got to wonder where and how do they get to express those unique gifts that are supposed to help each other mature and grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we have to have that the reparative process. And so it actually brings us back into then scriptural reflection. So, so Lectio, um, I just... I just interviewed Pete Craig, and and he just came out with a Lectio course. So if anybody's wanting to know what Lectio is and more of how to, how to do it and read scripture and hear from God, you could go find that as well. But that, 
you know, when we're actually, how do we do that as a group? So in, in the scripture reflection, so we do some scripture reflection as teaching on a Sunday morning, but then how do we do, do really good scripture reflection and studying scripture together as a group? So we, we could reflect what we get out of the, the passage and we hear from God through it and then share with, with others. How do we do that? Well, um, I wrote 10 scripture reflections for each chapter, becoming a face of grace. And here's the process that I use. Um, you always start with a face of grace story, appreciation, or a time that you felt like Jesus was with you. You always start there. Um, because otherwise, it's like back when engines had to heat up, you cold crank them, they weren't doing much of anything. Yeah, um, It's kind of like that, trying to dive into Lectio without, you know, it's almost preheating your spirit and your relational circuits. Yeah. Um, but the way I have groups do this is everybody has a journal, and I can either put a scripture up on screen or they can read it in their own Bible. And I teach them to say, I teach them to ask Jesus to speak to them. And I have them start reading, you know, just the words in the verse. And I say, pay attention to any word or phrase or words that kind of jump at jump out at you a little bit. Yeah. You immediately stop and say, God, what do you want me to know right now? Because something feels different about this. And you start journaling the thoughts, ideas, impressions, memories, pictures that come to mind. And you could then go back and say, well, gosh, God, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? Or what did you mean by this? And so you dialogue with God about that until you feel like you've reached the end of what he wanted you to, the nugget he was he was showing you, and you can continue or be done. Now, there's in the back of the book, there is a section called, um, it's a shepherd speaking which is designed to help people test, okay, this was good, this was exciting. Um, group, can you help me check this? Yeah. But after that time that everybody does that journaling reflection together, we start taking turns sharing what we think God might have been showing us, and we test it against the, is the shepherd speaking? What you end up with is instead of one person sharing about a verse with a group, you end up with 10 or 12 people all sharing from a different perspective what God wants them to see in the verse. It's like a multiplication of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to show through every member in the group. So everyone gets to play. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets to use their gifts. And the cool thing about doing this in group with is the shepherd speaking is we're training people to do that on their own as a daily discipline. Yeah. So that's how I do that with groups. I love that process that you're taking the time to to actually go through it and journal and talk to God through the midst of it instead of just reading it and then quickly responding to to something, but you're actually taking the time to be quiet and reflect and journal before share. And I think that's an importance. I, I like that a lot. And I think a lot of, of groups, I mean, this is the type of, of group that we're trying to to see happen around the world as, as we're training our missionaries to go out. Uh, but a lot of times 
it becomes these these groups and the reflection, scripture reflection becomes a little shallow and yeah. it becomes like, I don't know, I guess I got this out of it. But I think as we're listening to God's voice in the midst of it and we're starting to stop it at some words and phrases and journal and reflect with memories and say, God, is there more? And yeah. then to start to share, I think that's going to be really helpful and beneficial as we're moving forward in groups. Um, and I think there's, yeah, there's a, a bit more of a a reliance on on Holy Spirit and God's mm-hmm. voice instead of our own voice. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a process of people learning this isn't about who smartest wins. Because <laughs> remember, we're coming from a Western thing that says the smartest person is the most important person. Mm. And it's really challenging. Yeah. Um, people, here's what I think. People that have the hardest time doing Lectio that want to give you their intellectual version of stuff are going to probably have the hardest time finding a face of grace story. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of why consistent face of grace stories or gratitude moments or Jesus moments before we do this are so important mm-hmm. because we're remembering times of um, gifts God gave us or times we were close with him or his people were shining, you know, Jesus's face with us before we start. Neurologically, we're kind of kicking out of the informational, logical left hemisphere into the very relational right hemisphere, mm-hmm. um, which I think is where um, it's where attachment happens. It's where identity transformation happens. Mm-hmm. Now, you can do lectio um, without writing. Um, oral tradition cultures, uh, like I've worked with people who do not read or write very well. And there are versions of this that you can do with them, too, that are also effective. Um, So this is not limited to just people that know how to read and write. Anybody can do this. Mm. I love that. And, you know, my my wife is going, she's training some people in in South Asia that are illiterate. They they don't read and write, Uh, but we're teaching them a, a method of... Jesus storytelling through pictures and drawing pictures. Mm-hmm. So I was just reflecting on on the the picture drawing as we're doing lectio. People could be drawing the picture of the story or the, you know yeah. whatever is they're studying at that that moment yeah. and then reflecting from that um, you know in in lectio hearing from God through the pictures that they're drawing. Yeah. I think that's yeah that that's cool. There's all that's sorts wonder. of different ways to do it. I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. I so I I want to get back a little bit to how do we do this? Uh, be a face of grace as a believer to non-believers, and I think this is it's a crucial thing at the in the time that we're living in right now. There's a lot of uh, there's a people don't have a great view of Christians in the West right now. Right. Um, right. And so, how do we? shift into becoming that that people of grace that face of grace so that we can interact with with non-believers mm-hmm. or pre-believers as I like I like to call them yeah. with pre-believers as God's favorite in the world what do we do in that setting well 
you can't reflect what you haven't received. So it really does start with receiving and being intentional about practicing things that help me see myself that way. Um, I think part of it is one of the things that's so fascinating to me about Jesus is he seems so genuinely interested in people. <laughs> I mean, he communicated a good bit of information, but he was also fascinating relationally in how he interacted with so many different types of people. I think a lot of us have lost the wonder of each other. I mean, we, I, we just have. We don't see, and we see... Um, Engaging with other people in our culture is a matter of you need to believe this or come to this belief about that. Um, but I think their grace and seeing other people from God's perspective is something we have to ask him to help, for help for, and other people need to help us sometimes. Yeah. But I think there's an openness then to engage with people that are very different when we start to see them through God's eyes, because then it's not, well, I have to get them to come where I am to be like me as, no, you're fascinating. Let me get to know you on your turf, uh, you know, where you, where you are. And um, in the context of a relationship, um, genuinely, um, what does it look like to love you like Jesus does? Yeah. And I'm not saying you compromise truth. I'm not saying you do non-biblical things to win people. Um, I hate that term, win people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it, you really do engage in relationships with people. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's, that's, it's like what my guy, my friend did years, years and years back. I mean, <laughs> I was drinking, I was drugging, I was demonstrating, I was hanging out with some really, um, not so nice, very radical people. Um, and this guy was in one of my classes. I skipped class one day to speak at a demonstration. So there I am, supposed to be in class, and he, <laughs> he could hear me on a bullhorn. <laughs> and he was thinking to himself, God, this guy has so much energy and gifts. What if those got harnessed for you? And he began building relationship with me, and it looked like, hey, can I buy you lunch? College, yeah, take me for lunch. <laughs> so it just was that. Yeah. But it was the consistency of um, him caring about me. Mm. Now, part of the story is another campus mission group, which I shall not name, was also kind of on me at the same time. And... I mean, I was thinking about God. I was raised Catholic, so it's not like I didn't know about God. I was just bad and walked away. Um, they started to do the four traditional laws with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So finally, it was time for me to say the sinner's prayer. And throughout this project, I didn't feel cared for. I felt like a project. Mm-hmm. So when I finally said the prayer, every all these guys around me were all excited, and I looked at them, and I was mean. I said, y'all are stupid. Y'all think because I said those words, I'm different on the inside. I am no different now than before I said that. Um, it just had the sense of being a ministry project or having to um, you know, say these words they wanted me to say to be in 
was just like, what? There was no relational context to it. Now, they thought it was. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had this other guy who, who was really building a relationship with me. And there was a drawing power in that. The grace drew me into that. Yeah. And it's what grew, drew me back to, yeah, God, I really, you're the one I want to be with. Mm. It's a beautiful story. And it, it helps us realize that, you know, we need to have friends. <laughs> we need to, to pursue people as God's favorite of who they are and see them for who they truly are and not as, as ministry projects. Um, yeah. And we'll go a lot further in life uh, if we go that route and see people as genuine people that God loves and sees that are made into the image of God that are his favorite, um, despite whatever you don't understand about them. Um, we need to enter into those things. I love it. It's great. I think that's kind of why, um, coffee shop discipleship or coffee shop meetings or informal meetings, um, tend to be where the nun, the N O N E S are hanging out. Um, because they're looking for a relationship, but they're not really sure they want this Western Christian thing. Mm. And uh, I think it's really a lack of knowing how to engage with people that are not of Christian culture. Yeah. Because we're afraid of them we, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, there's a lack of grace, and so we don't we don't know how, or we don't see the need to connect with them. Mm. Um. So I'm I'm like all four, <laughs> um, you know. If you if you're a nun, hang out in the coffee house. It's great. I'm praying God sends people to hang out with you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and one of the the ways that we can start to to cultivate that, you know, one of the things here. This is what I want to do. I want to so as as a a first impression of of me. Of, of Joshua, a lot of people think that I'm, I'm mad at them or I'm angry. And my inner feeling towards people is not always expressed outwardly. And so uh-huh. I haven't actually become a face of grace. I have like a, a heart of grace, but not a face of grace. How could I start to train my body, my face, uh-huh to express the emotion that I'm feeling so I could build relationship and relational capital with other people and actually show them and let them know that they're God's favorite and I'm happy to see them. That's a really big question because there's a whole lot of reasons why people do that. Um, Sometimes it has to do with attachment style that you're just not used to um, paying a lot of attention to emotions and relationships that go with them. Um, and that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's not doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's more about neurological wiring than it is about anything else. Mm-hmm. One of the things that can tend to change that is hanging out with people that have a more secure, grace-filled attachment style. Um, that will change it. I mean, research shows that um, that type of attachment style grows and changes in response to being in a longer-term relationship with people whose attachment style is different. Some of it may be introversion. Um, Like introverts um, 
can be really engaging, but we recharge by ourselves. Yeah. That we can think about, okay, engaging with this person is going to be exhausted. Do I, I do the energy calculation? Do I have the energy? Yeah. So some of that's about building the capacity to to continue to receive grace so that it really does overflow to other people. Mm. I think some of it just comes back down to um, really reflecting on God's grace. There's something about getting a hold of it. Like when you said, when you were telling me you could feel some of what I was feeling when I told the story. Yeah. Sharing stories like that does that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's why stories are so awesome in groups. Because down the group share, feeling what that person was doing if you tell the story right. Yeah. So I think sharing and telling stories and mm -hmm. being intentional about cultivating that place for grace. Mm -hmm really is helpful yeah because it tends to it tends to overflow it like notifies my face hey face something really good is happening here uh that's great uh yeah before we get to my two final questions i like to ask is there anything else that we haven't uh covered when it when it become becoming a face of grace that you'd like the audience to know um one of the points I make about in the book about being a face of grace is in the absence of grace, fear is our default system. Fear is our neurological and spiritual default system anyway. And um, that is where um, you, you develop addictions. It's where you develop all kinds of things to substitute for grace, which is why I think growing in grace is so important. And this, because providing what our brain and spirit actually needs is critical. Mm. Um, fears just neurologically, apart from grace-filled interactions with moms and caregivers and dads in the early years of life, fear really does become our default system. Mm. And then so life is viewed through, through, will this hurt me? What will I lose? Will this overwhelm me? Rather than man, I really got something cool to to give and to share. Um, part of what's cool about addiction recovery this way is we become solution centered and not problem centered. Mm -hmm. The problem is, oh, you're this, you're that, you this, and you did this, and you did that, and you still do this, which is I'm not saying is unimportant. It is important, yeah. but there has to be this sense of. Um, wow, there's something cool that can replace all that. Let's start giving you what you actually need. Um, it's almost like if you have a plant that's not doing well, yeah. you could you could lament about all the things it's not having and it's not getting, and gee, this is really a sorry plant. Or you could actually start feeding it, watering it, giving it sunlight. <laughs> that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Mm. You, you, a, a real switch into a solution-centered approach to to recovery in life. Yeah, that's really important to be solution-centered instead of problem-centered. That uh, you know we have to yeah dispel the fear, bring that joy with into our lives, and we can start to walk into a different pattern. Um, so that's great, Ed. If you could go back to your twenty-one-year-old self, what advice would you give? <laughs> well. Um, I did not know grace that well back then. 
So I would have wanted my 21-year-old self to know a whole lot more about grace and my identity. Um, it sounds crazy, but I would have said, Ed, don't quit the police department. Because <laughs> um, I did. I was a cop for about four and a half years, and um, I left to go directly into ministry, working with hurting people. I mean, that's what I went to ministry training for. Even in the police department, part of what I was trying to do was work with the drug thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, if I'd have been, been even, that was even before, I would have said, Ed, finish your master's. This is what I would have told myself. <laughs> yeah, Ed, finish your master's. Um, just some of the long-term thinking, um, my heart and my compassion and call was there. Yeah. And I think... Um, Sometimes I pursued that um, to my detriment <laughs> in ways that were not especially wise. <laughs> oh, that's good, and that's that's good advice. That you know, we could actually, as yeah, you know, as a a police officer, it's a very it should be in that that shepherding category as we're helping repair people. Yeah, like the the good shepherd is you're walking with people in the valley of the shadow of death, and you're. You're bringing them into a place with to greener pastures, and that's yeah. that's typically what a, what a police officer should be doing, right? Mm. And so, to be able to do that well with the front lines, and to know that that can be part of your calling of saying, "This is what God has called me to to help repair uh, broken things, to make things yeah. new." Um, yeah. I think is really good advice for a lot of people that they don't have to run away from the things that help them engage the community and engage broken aspects of community, um, whatever, you know, their call is, whatever they believe that the Lord is calling them into. I like that a lot. There was risk, risk there was dangerous stuff, but I was focused on that and not necessarily praying. It would be more like God make keep me safe. Yeah. But there was a lot of times I got to engage with people on one of the worst days of their life mm -hmm. and be praying for them and just see God do stuff that was really pretty cool. Mm. So it was it was an and it was an interesting way to engage with people on the worst day of their life. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh so Ed, anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Um <laughs> I just started reading um a book um called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, yeah, I think it's John Mark. Yeah, John Mark Comer. Yes, yes. Um, I am loving the book. Uh, I'm in the process of restructuring my life. Mm. Um, we just finished an intense seven-year period of ministry and writing. My wife got very, very ill. She got diagnosed with stage four cancer just as the pandemic started. Wow. So, it completely, I mean, we're quarantined for a long time because of our immune system. Yeah. So I'm just now, at the end of that seven years, putting things back into place that, you know, I had to abandon to, to, to care for her. Yeah. So the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book is really helping me think, okay, Ed, what are the pillars that actually need to be in your schedule? Um in a way that you are not rushing from thing to thing, but really setting your priorities in order so you can move 
through your day instead of rush through trying to get all this stuff done. Yeah. Noticing that the structures I have to put in place also eliminate possible times I could go do this in ministry, do that in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way of um, eliminating hurry to some degree through structuring my life correctly. But it's also a way of telling me what I can say yes to and what I can say no to. Yeah. So I haven't finished the book, and I don't know if he gets gets to that in the book, but that's part of what I'm catching um, that applies to me. Yep. Um, that's so kind of, the book. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, it's really good. Um, let's. Uh, how can people connect with what you're doing? What would you like to connect people to, uh, your books or anything else? Yeah, our website is equippinghearts.com. Our ministry is called Equipping Hearts for the Harvest or just equippinghearts.com. Um, you can find information about my books, um, podcast links, blogs. Um, you can get, there are three books that I wrote. One is Becoming a Face of Grace, which is available on Amazon. There's a follow-up that says, how do you do grace in small groups? It's called Beyond Becoming. And the last one is for leaders. It's called The Weight of Leadership, How Codependency and Misplaced Mercy Undermine Life and Ministry. Those are all on Amazon, and you can find out more about them on the website. Um, it's really cool because I started like with Face of Grace. What do you need to know about grace to start maybe with a small group? And then what do you do after you finish? Um, how do you keep that going? And then what are things leaders really need to know if they're going to function in grace? Mm, I love it. That's good. So go out, get those books, go to equippinghearts.com. And uh, Ed, thank you so much for bringing us through to a place where we can start to become that face of grace that we have become that we can form new attachments to each other in community, form new attachments to God so that we can bring some joy and then experience that grace as a relational aspect and not just a concept, ethereal concept that we think it is, but it's actually a relational. Um, So thank you for walking us through that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing a story of experiencing a face of grace so that I could experience that as well. I really appreciated it. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a blast. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.